Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. Make sure you're subscribed wherever it is that you are listening or watching right now. A podcast comes out twice a week. We don't want you to miss anything. But Logan, let's actually get into that. We're going to call this segment The Art of Value. Yeah. Right. Because it is certainly not a science. It is not something that is beyond mathematical reproach. And also art is is something whose beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, I might look at a painting and be like, that is a masterpiece. And you might look at it and be like, that is hideous. That is I would never put that yeah. in my. Yeah, I would not pay a cent for that. I would not hang it in my home. And whether it's scheme fit, uh, certain traits that you like, personality fit with the position coach. There are so many different things that impact how a player is valued by each individual, nevertheless, team evaluator. So let's just start broad and then kind of get into some of the examples of why a guy like Darnell Wright all of a sudden is being mocked number nine in Chicago when a lot of people throughout most of this process had him as a back end of the first round guy, maybe even slipping into the second. Meanwhile, you've been talking about a guy like Anton Harrison, who you think is going to go possibly in the first half of the first round. Someone who's uh, Washington could take at 16. Kuyper's got him going 32. Uh, Dewan Jones is not in the first, this two round mock at all for Mel Kuyper. And he's a guy that Blake Freeland ahead of him, you know, and I I hate Blake Freeland. I I hate is a strong word, but I think he's more of a developmental guy than than picking someone in the second round. How do we wind up with these prospects? All over the map. Yeah, so I think it's really it's really interesting, you know. And I think the tackles is something we've talked about. I think it's relevant to Washington. So, you know, Peter Skaronski is a guy that feels pretty safe and feels like a lot of people are going to have a very high value on him, right? Because he's very technically sound. He plays physically, not a lot of mental mistakes. Physical measurements are solid in terms of height, weights, or in terms of jumping, running, sprinting type of thing. A little bit undersized, right? So there are guys, there are teams that'll have. We've talked about physical thresholds before. But have a physical threshold on him and say he doesn't meet the physical threshold. He's a guard for us. So if you have him evaluated as a guard, he's going to instantly move past a guy like Paris Johnson or Dewan or, or um, Broderick Jones, right? And so then I get to my evaluation and I say, well, I, I think he can play tackle. And I think he's a good enough football player that he's going to be either a guard or a tackle. And I'm okay with taking a guard or a tackle at eight as the best offensive lineman in the draft. And I think he's ready to play right now. So he's my number one guy. But a team might have a physical limitation on him. They might not like his upside. That's another thing a lot of guys do is they draft for upside. So like Paris Johnson has an upside that can't even be measured. You know, he's 6'7". 
He's 320, 315. He's fast. He's explosive. He's dexterous. He's got long arms. He's got everything you want. He's got position flex. And his ceiling is that he could be a top five tackle in the NFL because physically he's got those traits. So some teams might have him as number one, right? You say Broderick Jones. Broderick Jones, again, another athletic physical freak from a height, weight, speed, movement standpoint. But I technically don't like how he plays. I think I think he's got technical deficiencies in his game that I don't like. So he goes down the board. So I have Anton Harrison above him, right, in terms of pass protection, things like that. So even in this slight three-man thing, depending on who you talk to, you could have Paris Johnson, Anton Harrison, or Peter Skaronsky as your number one tackle in this draft. And that's just that's just from my that's just the perspective of the player. You know, Darnell Wright, we haven't talked about him. Like, I could see there is a path to me seeing him as the number one tackle taken in this draft because he's big. That's what Kuyper's got. Yeah, he's big. He's physical. He's got excellent feet. He kind of plays the position with the appropriate amount of violence. Is it always perfect? No. Is he a one-year wonder? Yes. And some people are going to demote him for that. So just, again, there is so many – it's about making your case and making your argument. And I was listening to something a GM said. He's like, we had to – I think I've said this on the show – is we had to go to a tiered system because opinions are so different. We just have to get guys tiered correctly, get them in the right buckets so that we can say, hey, your opinion on Anton Harrison and my opinion on Darnell Wright, we view them as comparable players. So it doesn't really matter who we take here to fit our perspective, right? So the scouts don't get mad at each other. And that's that's this this is not even without talking about, I think, scheme fit, right? Because I think if you're a run-first scheme, Darnell Wright's going to move up. So for Chicago, that's, a, I think, a right. good fit, right? Anton Harrison for a pass-first team like Kansas City or whatever makes a ton of sense to me. So um, I, I, hopefully that clears that up a little bit just from like a tackle perspective, you know? And then the fact that he's, he doesn't have Dewan Jones in the first two rounds is kind of insane to me. Because when you talk to people around the league, people are pretty high in Dewan Jones because of the physical upside and the fact that they think he could be Maybe the best tackle long-term in this class, right? But then Mel Kuyper, a guy that I have a ton of respect for, has Blake Freeland in the as a top, what is it, the seventh tackle on his board, sixth tackle on his board. And, to, like and to me... Or at least, at least how he comes off in terms of... Because that's the thing, too, is like the board versus the mock. Like Mel's... I can pull up their composite ESPN's rankings, but... Um, I don't know if Mel has his big board up or that's just something McShay does at this point. Right. Point is, like, he might have Dewan Jones higher, but he might think that the fit is better in Washington for Freeland unless he goes there. Yeah, and I, and I, don't, I don't agree with that because I don't think Freeland's, like, ready to play, and I think his upside's a little bit lower. And here I've heard Mel talk about Blake Freeland, and he thinks because of the athletic traits, his upside's higher. And I kind of disagree because I think he's technically too far away. And it, there, there's a there's a difference of opinion right there on a player that, um, and I think I'm I think I'm right. But you know, I'm going to trust my evaluation. I'm going to trust my perspective. But I think that just shows you like the perception of value. And then like that's just within the same position. And how do you weigh that value? You know, positional value, um, positional value for your team, positional value for your scheme, and it just becomes super super complicated. And so on these boards. You know, you'll see somebody, you know, mock Nolan Smith in the top 10. And if you get a comp saying, oh, he's the next Von Miller, then that's absolutely makes sense. And I can see that. I can see him being that player. But it's just another team might say he's too small. He's 235 pounds. He's too small to play defensive end in the NFL. Right. So for Kuyper, uh, he's got his tackle rankings. This is his big board. 
Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones, Darnell Wright, Anton Harrison, Matthew Bergeron, Blake, Blake Freeland, Cody Mock, T- Tyler Steen, Dewan Jones, Joey Fisher, Jalen Duncan. That's my, that's that's his top wow. eleven. Wow. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Todd McShay and Scout Sink uh, have Skaronsky, Jones, Johnson, Wright, Harrison. Uh, Dewan Jones is six for right. them. Cody Mock, Matthew Bergeron, Jalen Duncan, Blake Freeland's 10, Tyler Steen's 11. So same 11 guys, very different order. Yeah, see, I'd probably agree more with the second list there. And I'd probably even have Blake, I'd probably even have Tyler Steen ahead of Blake Freeland, just to give you some context on my perspective there. And I think Cody Mock is a guard. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like he's the fifth tackle on that board. He's a guard to right. me. So, um, and by the way, he's got uh, – Kuyper's got – Skaronsky listed as a guard on his list. Right. And and I would I can see that. But again, I'm gonna let him play tackle first. So I, I think that's just a really good case study in showing value and like how it's totally in the eye of the beholder. And you put in all this work and you try to make it as not objective as possible, or not subjective as possible, excuse me. But it's a subjective thing. It's an art, not a science. And that's why the, the draft is such a crapshoot. Because let's say you got a scout who you really trust who's got a high evaluation on somebody and they say, this is the guy we got to make it happen. And he just misses, right? He just misses on the eval right. and you make that assessment on him and his track record's good, but he misses on this guy. And I think that's where this, this whole process becomes so convoluted and so complicated. Um, and that's why, in my opinion, you should never overvalue your evaluation. You should always try to kind of see what, what the, what the group think is on a player and make sure that you can kind of get that perspective. I think Tyree Wilson's a very interesting example of this. Like, I'm not overly hyped up with Tyree Wilson, right? I don't love him, his tape, but everybody else seems to love it. And so I'm like, there's something going on here that I'm not necessarily seeing. Like, am I going to take him at six or seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12? Probably not. I'd go a different direction. Like, I think in our mock, we kind of let him slide a little bit, or I don't remember exactly what happened, but. Mm. But I'm I'm also not going to overvalue my evaluation because there's something in there in the soup that I'm not seeing potentially, and I always want to keep that in the back of my mind, you know. And I think that that's something where I think teams you see them reach on players like the um, I guess it was the Oakland Raiders when uh, what's his name was the GM there what was the, the he was the TV analyst guy um, uh, Mike Mayock Mike Mayock and they were constantly reaching on players. It's just right. because he he trusted his evaluation too much. And that's bad process because you're not always going to be right. And it's important to kind of fall into the slots of the big board and see where players are falling and how they're allocated. And then you can, if you do really like a player, say, hey, everyone likes these players more. I can get this guy in the second round. So it just helps you build your draft process out. And it is. It's it's such a subjective thing. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder in life and especially when it comes to football evaluations. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Definitely. So how does this then impact the rest? Like, okay, so that that's a big giant conversation that is in a lot of ways internal, right? This yeah. is how we set our board. Yeah. This is how we do it. But then how does that affect everything else? And this is where like the commander sitting at 16 have to have that feeling of what other teams sure. think. Yep. 
because if everyone has the same board, there's no trades in Correct. the draft. Because there's no reason to go up and get a player if you don't value them more than someone else. Like, okay, well, you know, where are we going to, why would we trade up for, you know, Anton Harrison if we think he's the same value as everyone else does? Right. Or, you know, if our board is, is it the same in terms of the tiers? And so what the commanders need to happen is they need someone to fall who they don't particularly like that someone that they're like, eh, okay, fine. Yeah. But another team and really ideally two other teams loves. So let's say, we- let's say that player is Broderick Jones. Okay. Let's say at tackle, they're just like, he's all the yeah. people that don't like Broderick Jones. We like it. We don't like him for those reasons, but there's a lot of people that really like so this Jones. upside. Yeah, crazy. Let me just like polish this up a little bit. So to, yeah. to your point, let's say I have, uh, let's say, let's say you have uh, Skronsky, Paris Johnson, and Broderick Jones as your top tier offensive lineman. I don't disagree. I disagree with that, right? But let's say that's what you have on your board. And on my board, right. I have um, Paris Johnson, Skaronsky, Harrison, Broderick Jones. And Broderick Jones is a second tier player for me. Correct. Right? right. So I don't care. I don't give I don't give a damn. But you think he's a top three tackle in this draft. Right. right? And you're now the commanders. Yes. So I'm calling you yes. and I'm going, hey, uh, we what's it gonna take for for me, uh, Tampa? to come up to 16 because we got a guy that we like. Because all the other top-tier tackles are gone, and everybody... Because yeah, Skaronsky and, and who do we say? Uh, Paris, Paris Johnson. Johnson are gone. Yep, and so it's Broderick... Jones has fallen. Yeah, and he's right there at 16. We could take him. We don't like him that much, but Tampa, he's in that top tier of offensive linemen for them. He's the only other first-round right. offensive lineman. Because that's all that's... you know In addition to buckets, they also tier it by first round grade right so let's say they have a first round grade on them and none of the other offensive linemen have a first round grade but hey look at me i'm feeling okay about that because i have anton harrison with a first round grade so if i know you're going to trade up to this spot for broderick jones great take him because i'll just trade back to 19 and i'll take anton harrison and i get the guy i want and another pick and you get the guy you want and you screw that up in my in my evaluation right and i think you overvalued your evaluation if that makes sense right and then the other the best thing that can happen is because like if that's the case right we're two teams we're on the phone what's going to happen is i'm going to say hey all right the the jimmy johnson draft card uh which is kind of still what most teams base their trade values off of is says to go from 19 to 16 it's going to cost you your x and y pick we'll send you this and maybe, you know, maybe one of our fifths, we sw- whatever the, yeah, whatever the, the is, card yeah. says, right? But if all of a sudden, who we say is the commanders, you're the commanders, right? Yeah. In this particular deal. If you can say, hey, uh, it, it, the, the, the card says it's this, but we've also got Minnesota at 23 on the phone yeah. and they're willing to go over the card value. And they want Nolan give Smith. Give us your best offer. You know, like they want Nolan Smith or somebody completely different. They right. just want the spot. Because again, their evaluation right. might be Nolan Smith is a top 10 player in the draft, right? And he's there at 16. Like we got to sure. get up and get him. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so I think that's the cool thing about this process is it's not just tackles. It's not just DBs. It's like if you have a top 10, top five evaluation on a player, and it and it and I think everyone sees these mock drafts now, and it's like, oh, these are the top five guys. These are the top ten guys. That's not how teams look at it. 
there are dudes in there that are saying, oh, Kalijah Canty's the best defensive tackle in the draft. And if he starts sliding down the board and he's available at 16, I could see someone in the back end trading up. It just is about how who do I think the prettiest girl at the bar is or the prettiest boy, whatever it is, and how am I going to make sure that I go home with them with the right value? And again, it only works if they have a big grade on these guys, and they might. We don't know teams' draft boards, and that's why they guard them with their lives. But that's another right. – That's and so that's all of a sudden where you get – and I think in this draft specifically, because there's so many – kind of there's not like this definitive like this guy's awesome this guy's awesome you're going to get mixed evaluations and it can lead to this kind of pop up and let's see if we can get what we can get yeah and like you said it doesn't have to be the same player but like the best best scenario is you get Detroit at 18 and Minnesota at 23 two division rivals yes fighting over the same player yeah. because if it's if it's different players then maybe one of them calls pittsburgh and is like hey right we know that minnesota is about to trade up to 16 to take nolan smith we want we want who is he we have falling broderick jones yeah. uh do you can we can we work out something with you instead they give up a little bit less they they still get their guy uh that's good information you know usage that's good information sharing etc but if you got if you got two teams and especially if they they specifically hate each other yeah. uh, are going to have to play each other twice a year fighting over the same guy. Now you have a bidding war. Like yeah. that's the absolute best thing. And especially when you know, cause to your point, right. In this scenario, your tier one players are gone. There's not a player on your board that you one. still want at yes. that spot. You now have 10 players in the next bucket and you can get any of those 10 and be happy five picks from now. Yes. Like, sweet. Okay, so four of them might be gone, but so be it. Right. We still are going to get a guy we like. So that plus, is the best. Plus where a you're pick. Like, plus a hey, pick. Right. Plus, plus pick or picks, depending on where the movement is, et cetera. So I, I think that, like, that's where the information game becomes so oh, important. So important. Is, yeah. Do you know what other teams want? Do you know who you're going to want to call when you get to the clock that it's like, and, and I think that's the risk of, of information sharing, but also the reward of it. If you're a GM, like if I am, Oh God, what's the GM's name in Detroit? Um, oh, I don't even know anymore. Oh it's God. What's guy. his name it, on hard knocks last year? That's great. <laughs> um, that guy, or if I'm, if I'm, you know, whoever the GM is in Tampa, I'm probably having a conversation sometime earlier in the week of the draft, like Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, I'm giving uh, I'm giving one of the Martys a call and going, "Hey, if player X, like, what do, what do you think, uh, Brad Holmes? Thank you, Nick. Um, if I'm Brad Holmes at 18, I, I call the Martys and I'm like, "Hey, um, it doesn't seem like you would really be interested in this player. Yeah, we really like him. Like, if he's on the on the clock or on the board when you get on the clock." give up give me a call right yeah like, i wonder if they do that there's do you think they there's do that? those kinds of things that that definitely happen yeah. i mean these guys all know each other too yeah um and so there there's you don't want to give away your cards right. but you also don't want to be unprepared and you also don't want a team to be on the phone with someone else when you know that there's a distinct possibility that you could move up in the draft and get where you want to go so like it's a huge like risk reward do i share this info do i not how close do i hold this to the vest can i trust this guy like there's a lot of that that's happening behind the scenes 
And by the way, I think that also winds up making its way to some of the the people in the media doing the mock drafts <laughs> that can inform them. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, you know, I heard that this team really likes this player. Right. Like sometimes teams, you know, as much as they protect their boards, sometimes they want it out there so that other teams know and they can make those calls and, and be prepared for all situations come actual draft day. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And that's why it's so crazy to me. Like, I remember I was talking to someone last year, and they're like, oh, you know, draft's coming up. Are you excited? He's like, no, man, it's a lot of work for a very small payoff, potentially. You know, very small, yeah. like, kind of seven guys. And you got to evaluate 300, and you got to kind of do all these mental gymnastics. And it it, it is it is a crazy thing that that takes a lot of time. But, um, you know, if you make the right call, you're building your team, you know. So that's uh, it's a fun time of year. No doubt. All right. So next Wednesday, uh, we have our crossover podcast with Brian Baldinger and Jason Lockenfora. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, obviously, I have a pod before that on Monday. And then in two weeks, we'll do our final mock draft ahead of the draft on Thursday. And then uh, I don't know exactly what we'll do. Uh, maybe maybe we do one the day before the draft uh, pod, or maybe we wait till Friday once the first round pick is in. Maybe we do extra pods that week. So we'll figure out. Yeah, we can do out. like little bonus pods or something. Yeah, which which is why Logan people people should subscribe. That way, you just never miss an episode. It's like, oh, hey, look, another episode. You can watch us at youtubecom slash at one oh six seven the fan. Post some clips youtubecom slash at Craig Hoffman as well. Of course, you can listen on the free Odyssey app or your favorite podcast platform. Uh, until then, uh, until next week, he's Logan. I'm Craig, and we'll see you. Thanks for listening. Take care.